0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Well, Tegan, it's going to be cold. You're in Brisbane. It's almost warm, isn't it?
1: No. Uh, this morning it was a feels like two degrees, which, you know, as a Queenslander, that means I'm basically dead.
0: So one of our coronacassers has sent me a second pair of socks. Do you only own one pair of socks? I only wear one pair of socks and it's got a lot of holes in it and sent me another pair and this is the same Corona who's completely anonymous. I have no idea who this person is, who gave me, can you remember the quokka stories from Rottnest?
1: Do I remember the quokka stories? So before the WA uh, borders closed, you were talking about taking a holiday at Rottnest Island and I made some comment about how you love quokkas and then it turned into this sort of this part of your whole personality where you just are a quokka lover.
0: Correct. And they sent me, this person sent me a pair of quokka socks and now, a couple of weeks ago, they sent me a pair of socks that are more medical, saying the quackers are over.
1: Well, there you go. It's Coronacast, a show all about the coronavirus and sometimes other nasties as well. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor, coming to you from Jagera and Turable Land.
0: And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan, coming to you from Gadigal Land. It's Wednesday, May 10th, 2023. <music>
1: Norman, because I loved so much sort of putting you under the, uh, the time limit last week with a bit of a news roundup, I thought we could do it again this week. And I want to start with a story that has been brewing for almost as long as the pandemic now uh, that sort of came to a head this week or this past week. So if you remember back in 2020, Melbourne went into one of its earliest of its very um, restrictive lockdowns and one area that got locked down was a series of nine Social housing towers. And it was sort of seen to be a very draconian response to an outbreak in that time. And they've got a class action. And they're now, the Victorian government has offered a settlement fee of $5 million.
0: Yes, I mean, given the number of people involved in these high rise uh, housing schemes in the northwest corridor of Melbourne, that won't go very far, but it's up to them whether they accept it at the time of us talking here on CoronaCast. But this was an incredibly traumatic event where people felt victimised and was really not a good moment in Victoria's pandemic, although the uh, the virus was spreading within that community, but they were not well served and it took a while for Victoria to heal relationships with what was a very diverse community in those high rises.
1: Mm, and so another thing in Australian COVID news that uh, a name that's familiar to CoronaCast listeners is the Burnett Institute. It's a research institute here in Australia that has done some excellent work around COVID, but a paper that they published um, earlier in the pandemic has come under mm, question marks and raised eyebrows from um, PLOS, which is the journal that published this paper, has issued what they call an expression of concern about the methods involved in one of the Burnett Institute's papers that looked at um, the effect of mask wearing.
0: Yeah, and the critics of the Burnett Institute have jumped on this because this becomes political and those who oppose lockdown and oppose restrictions in terms of the pandemic have really pilloried Mike Toole and Brendan Crabb uh, of the Burnett Institute. So they've, been, they've jumped on this with glee. I think this is a science story that will play out and we'll just keep an eye on it. It's always hard to adjudicate in these issues.
1: Well, speaking of sitting back and taking a broad view of what's going on, the pandemic as a whole, we've, we passed a really important and interesting milestone in the last week or so where the double. WHO, the World Health Organization, which back in early 2020, not early enough for some people's opinion, issued a public health emergency of international concern, which they have now decided that the emergency phase of the pandemic is now over, which is kind of a massive deal because a lot of the questions that we got, especially early on, was like, when is the pandemic over? And the answer is, there's no one day that it's suddenly over, but this is one of the big days in the kind of declaring it to be over.
0: Well, no, it's not, is the answer really to that question. And this WHO announcement has been much misunderstood. So people who want the pandemic to be over have reported this as their WHO saying, the World Health Organization saying the pandemic's over. But in fact, the Director General of the, um, or the Secretary General of the uh, World, World Health Organization, or TEDROS, was very clear to say that the pandemic is not over. And while the emergency response with all that entails and resources flowing to various countries, particularly low and middle income countries, um, and marshaling national and international resources, that's over, but individual countries' coronavirus response systems should be maintained because he was definite in his remarks saying the pandemic is not over. So it's just the emergency response system is not over because we have vaccines and people have had previous infections so there's a reasonable level of immunity but the pandemic's not over and if you just take Australia and last year COVID was the third commonest cause of death in Australia Uh, in the United States it was the fourth commonest cause of death. Um, The Actuaries Institute who we've often quoted on uh, Coronacast has been able, because there's a three-month lag in data, has looked at the data for January. In January, there was an 8% excess death rate, which is about 1,100 deaths of people directly of COVID or indirectly from COVID-19. So this is still with us. It is still killing people. And um, and it's still an issue.
1: Well, then why isn't it still an emergency? Like, what's what's the benefit in the WHO saying, yeah, nah, it's still a pandemic, but the emergency part's over?
0: I think that's simply in you know all hands on deck, marshalling resources internationally, making sure the low to middle income countries have got vaccines when they come through, uh, moving PPE around, masks and so on. I mean, there was a lot there was a lot of stuff in that calling it an emergency response which is largely to do with multilateral agreements and uh, and assisting countries who are not as able to assist themselves as, as compared to countries like Australia. So declaring the emergency response, and if you go back to coronacast in those days, it wasn't so much for Australia. It was more for countries in, say, sub-Saharan Africa and elsewhere who were more vulnerable.
1: So it's not like they've just given up?
0: They've not given up. Uh, They've not given up on vaccine access, and they've not given up on individual countries' responses to COVID-19.
1: Well, speaking of individual countries' responses, I want to talk about the United States for a bit, because in the last few years, what we have seen over in the States has often then filtered through to us here in Australia in terms of emerging variants and that sort of thing. And this week on Thursday the US lifts its kind of emergency phase of the pandemic, those emergency restrictions that were brought in at the beginning of the pandemic. And the Washington Post has reported on briefings that were given to the White House around what could come next in the pandemic. And they went and talked to a lot of uh, important experts, many of whom we've quoted on this show before, people like Trevor Bedford and Eric Topol, about what the next couple of years could entail. And they gave slightly different responses, but there was sort of a consensus that there's a good 20 or so percent chance that sometime in the next two years, we'll see a wave similar to Omicron again when it, uh, of a future variant of coronavirus.
0: Yes, which is... I mean, not that we're experts like they are, but it's what we've been talking about for a while now. And again, it's, it gets political because the people who oppose this idea from a political point of view rather than a science point of view don't like this idea. But the reality is, and all they're reflecting is what we've talked about, is that there's a good chance, it's not a, you know over 50% according to those experts, but it's about 20% chance, as you say. In fact, Trevor Bedford believes it's about a 40% chance of um, a significant jump in variance and really he's talking about omicron because omicron was the last big jump in variance and everything that's happened since omicron has been within the omicron family but when you get a big jump out of it you're taking a risk of increased severity but certainly what you will see are large numbers of infections because when you get a big jump in variant, we're not as protected from previous infection or indeed the vaccine as we were before. So even if it has the same severity as uh, Omicron, because of the large numbers, and in Australia because of our under-immunisation and under-immunisation internationally, you could see a large number of deaths.
1: Can I ask a bit of a curveball question? This is a bit of a brain fart, Norman. Are we focusing so much on COVID that we risk missing a different dangerous pathogen that could emerge in the next two years or in the next few years?
0: That's a huge issue and uh, we could even miss another coronavirus and you could argue that we're not being as vigilant with COVID-19 as we should be. So we may actually miss a COVID-19 variant for a while because we're not as vigilant about watching COVID-19. We've not got an international surveillance system for pandemic viruses similar to what we've got for influenza so we've got a reasonable international surveillance system for influenza and influenza will probably be picked up when it when it next turns into a pandemic form of influenza but we've not got this integration of veterinary researchers animal health researchers and indeed animal health workers, finding new viruses that might be emerging for anim- from animals that might escape into humans and pick an early surveillance of unusual new infections. So we have not learnt the lesson of Covid, and yes. It's not so much that we're focusing on COVID, it's just that we haven't learnt the lessons from this pandemic.
1: And just quickly, Norman, there's a whole lot of research always coming out about coronavirus, but one that has been the subject of a lot of questions that you've been receiving is about the risk of Bell's palsy, like a facial paralysis on one side that people could get after a vaccination maybe.
0: So Bell's palsy is damage to the facial nerve on one side of the face and you get drooping and it can be quite disfiguring. There are treatments for it, usually steroids, And often it's associated with viral infections. And it's been noticed that, uh, so this is a study of Bell's palsy. Does it happen with the immunization against COVID-19? Does it happen with COVID-19 itself? Then compare the two. The reality is that, yes, vaccination with, um, and it doesn't matter which one, mRNA or the viral vector vaccines, does increase the risk of Bell's palsy a bit. It's not very common.
1: Compared to if you'd had nothing else happen to you at all
0: compared to if you had nothing, but it's, it's about a rate of about 15, because I think the average in the population is 15 per 100,000 per year. It might go up to 19 per 100,000 people per year. And the risk of actual COVID-19 infection is 32 per 100,000. So it, it goes up quite significantly with the actual infection itself. So by reducing the, uh, the risk of infection, you are reducing the risk of Bell's palsy, but vaccination does raise it a little bit against background.
1: Right. So super rare, in any case, raises a little bit with COVID.
0: It raises quite a lot with COVID infection, but it comes but it comes right back down. you probably at a third of the risk by taking the vaccine.
1: So a similar situation to what we've heard with other risks of vaccination that are actually, yes, but it's worse if you catch the COVID virus itself.
0: And nobody's got an explanation as to why it happens.
1: Oh, well, that's all we've got time for on today's Corona Cast, but we'll see you next time.